Section 50 of Familiar Instructions and Evening Lectures on All the Truths of Religion, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Larry Wilson. Familiar Instructions and Evening Lectures on All the Truths of Religion, Volume 2, by Father Louis de Segur. The Father of a Family the gospel forcibly represents god to our minds under the figure of the father of a family and indeed a lesson too often unheeded is hidden beneath this name it belongs to god not only because he is the father the principal the creator of all things but because the manner in which we are governed by his providence is entirely justified by the conduct of a good father of a family here below Everyone knows what constitutes this character, a constant vigilance over his children, an untiring care for their welfare, to affection united with perfect justice, patience with their faults, and more than all, a generous, earnest love. Everyone admires a man who brings up his children upon such a principle as this, and no one would be so unreasonable as to blame him when he sees necessity to mingle severity with tenderness punishments with rewards. But if it is thus, how can we ever be so unjust as to murmur against God, when he acts with regard to us just as we ourselves act with regard to our children? Why do we do in respect to God, the Father of all men, exactly that which we condemn in our own children, who, less wise than their father, and ignorant of his reasons, misjudge their parents, murmur against them, and sometimes even doubt their tenderness? let us consider a little now how an earthly father acts if he is good and wise and we shall clearly see that god against whom during the course of our life we often dare to murmur acts towards us exactly in the manner that we esteem so highly in an earthly father first of all the father gives life to his children who think little of this fundamental benefit the basis of their existence and of all their happiness this is the first resemblance for we are nothing but children grown, and we forget each day that God is our Creator, that life is a benefit which He has bestowed upon us in pure mercy and goodness, and we never thank Him that He has sent us into the world. Our love for our children is always greater and more disinterested than is their love for us. A child is generally egotistical and receives from its parents more affection than it gives them in return this is the second resemblance for what would become of us alas if our father in heaven did not love us more than we love him we receive everything from him and give him very little in return and the father does not only give life to his children but by his work he provides them with all that they need to nourish and strengthen that life which is dearer to him than his own he submits to hard work he labors and toils and sometimes when weary and tempted to turn aside from the daily task, he remembers his children, and the thought inspires him with renewed energy. The child receives in each with indifference the bread so hardly earned. God, our Creator, has not only sent us into the world that we may attain that eternal happiness which alone is worthy of his almighty power and love, but he has deigned to come down to earth to labor for this end by taking our weakness upon him, by suffering for our sins, 
and meriting for us this everlasting reward. And ungrateful that we are, we receive it as if it were a little thing, the ineffable gift of love of Jesus Christ. Too often even we reject them, like unto the child who wastes and despises the bread that his father has laboriously gained. A good father loves all his children with an equal tenderness, and notwithstanding this, or rather because of this, he does not treat them all the same. He varies according to their characters, his severity or indulgence. He passes over nothing in the child who would only abuse his forbearance, and does not rebuke so severely the child whose character requires a gentler discipline. Moreover, he measures to the appetite and constitution of each the quantity and quality of the food he gives them. In a word, he treats them differently, and at the same time with perfect wisdom and justice and love. But instead of recognizing this enlightened affection, the children jealous of each other complain, rebel, and accuse their father of showing an unjust preference. Do we see no reflection here of our conduct with regard to God, who gives to each of us what he knows to be necessary and useful? His wisdom is as infinite as his goodness, and even as the heavens are higher than the earth, so is the divine fatherhood of our great Creator above the common fatherhood of men. Our children often disobey us, do wrong, and oblige us to punish them. Parental authority is irksome to them, even though it is their safeguard. When they transgress our commands, and we cause them to suffer for their disobedience, the child, beating against the bars of wholesome discipline, regards firmness as tyranny, and its parents as persecutors. Do we not act in the same way when we murmur against the justice of God, when we resist His holy law, and refuse to understand the punishments due to our sins? Lastly, when the erring child repents and throws itself weeping into its father's arms, does he not pardon it, whatever its fault may be? Does not the repentance of a child always efface the guilty past? And God also pardons everything to repentance when he sees it comes from the heart. But when the sinner is incorrigible, God acts like the father of a family who disinherits and curses his unnatural child after having exhausted every means of mercy, entreaty, and forbearance. He curses him eternally and disinherits him from celestial happiness and counts him no longer amongst his children. This striking semblance might be carried still further. If we reflect a little sometimes on that standard of right which God himself has given us as the guide of our own conduct, we should understand more clearly his dealings with ourselves. We should see that in this, as in all things, God has created us in his own image, and learn humbly to accept this justification of that divine providence of which our best and highest instincts are only a pale reflection. End of section 50